Hello, manufacturing world. I'm Wade Anderson with Shop Matters, sponsored by Akuma America. This podcast is created to discuss all things machining and manufacturing. Here today in the studio, we've got Greg Fakes with Gosker Automation. Hello, Greg. Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here to join us here today, Greg. So, I've known you for about 15 years or so. Um, so, my mind, anytime I'm thinking automation, you're the first name that comes up in, uh, in my Rolodex. But for all the people listening, tell us a little bit about what you do and, and a little bit about Gosker Automation. Sure, Wade. Thanks. Uh, Gosker Automation, really, uh, our core business is CNC uh, machine tools and manufacturing. And out of that grew the necessity to support uh, U.S. manufacturing through robotics. So we've grown over the last 30 years to uh, a team of, uh, of, of about 60 that uh, support uh, Kuma and U.S. manufacturing through um, robotics. Um, today, everything, uh, if you think about it, all uh, manufacturing machine tools they have, right? So they have to differentiate themselves some way through a process becoming more efficient with with what they have all right so greg i stumbled into this industry almost by accident um you know i came into this i was going to be a mechanic i had my mind set i was going to be the next uh you know hot rod builder or whatever one thing leads to another i start programming machine tools i've been in the cnc machine tool industry ever since what got you into automation how did you wind up at gosker and, and getting into the automation game well a little bit by chance uh, mechanical engineering background you know, that's, um, that's a common thread. When I talk to people in the machine tool world, hey, how'd you get in this industry? A lot of it is, well, you know, it just kind of happened. So it seems like uh, a little bit of luck is involved sometimes in, in getting into this world. Yeah, it, uh, it's been an exciting uh, time for automation anyways. And being in the industry, uh, just seeing what we can do to help our customers uh, become more competitive and do more with less is, is really satisfying. Yeah. All right. So you got a mechanical engineering degree, came out of school. Did you go straight into work for Gosker? No, I started uh, at a power distribution company uh, designing dynos, uh, clutch brakes, those types of thing, uh, uh, machines, really do test uh, uh, tractors uh, in the uh, field. Uh, and then uh, kind of went into technical sales and then uh, wanted to go into the outside sales. So that's where I originally started uh, at Gosker. And Back in 2005. Okay. So. Yeah, I was thinking you and I started about the same time. I started with Akuma in 2005, and I think you and I were almost kind of hand-in-hand. Hand. You started pretty pretty close in that vicinity. I was October 2005, and I started at Akuma. Yeah, I think I was May of, of 05, so okay. just a little bit uh, longer than you. Yeah, excellent. So I, I get to call on thousands of customers throughout the, the course of the year. Um, talk to them and, and different solutions that they need, different problems that they're facing. And I see a lot of shops gravitating towards automation, but at the same time, I see a lot of shops uh, that, that are fearful of automation or they'll say, well, hey, what I do is unique. You can't really automate my process. What do you see and, and what are the, the key factors that somebody needs to, to look at when it comes to automation? Sure. So in automation, most people think, uh, or in manufacturing, most people think that you have to have high volume, uh, low mix uh, production for automation to be effective. And really what we've found since the downturn of 0809, the uh, volumes have gone down, but the mix of parts has gone up. And uh, customers, we have to educate them on how we look at where automation can be effective 
you know, we look at common processes or a family of parts, or even like uh, one customer of ours, the only thing common across his parts is they would lay flat on a conveyor and we would transport them just like the grocery belt. Hmm. Uh, most people think uh, when they look at it, they're, they're looking at, you know, a single part where we're automating. We have one customer, they have uh, over 97 part prints that they gave to the, to us and they said we will automate two machine tools, but we want any one part on one machine while any other part runs on the other. So that's the type of challenges we like to uh, get involved with. And uh, in the end, we have, uh, I think it's 10 Akumas automated that way uh, for their production. Okay. So. I always look at things, to me, the world, you look at things through through your bias, right? You're kind of used to looking at, at uh, the world through the glasses uh, that you wear. I, I wear Akuma glasses. So I walk into a machine shop. I'm working with a customer trying to help, uh, you know, whatever process that he's, he's called me in for. I like to go in and I look at the shop. Again, I'm kind of looking at things from an Akuma uh, perspective. I walk a shop floor and he may be calling me in because he wants to talk about a, a new machine tool and wants to talk about a, a adding a horizontal or adding a five-axis machine. But there's certain things I look for when I walk through a shop. And as I'm walking through, I start looking at where are problem areas, where are areas where parts are, are bottlenecked. And sometimes, you know, the, the reason that he brought me in isn't really what his problem is. Uh, you know, I, I may be walking the floor and realize, you know, all of his spindles are turning. There's a couple of machines that, that aren't but there's a, a big bottleneck of parts in the QC lab waiting to get through inspection to, before they can make it out the door. So then, okay, if we start focusing on that and solving that problem, you know, we can, we can add inspection uh, devices to the, to the machine tool process, different things like that, and we try to move where that bottleneck is. That's how I look at it from a chip cutting standpoint as I'm walking through a floor. What do you look for from an automation perspective? As you're walking into a customer's shop and he's, he's wanting to talk automation, what are the key triggers? As you're walking through a floor, what are things that is throwing red flags in your mind? Uh, this is an area we need to be looking at. Yeah, I mean, first thing uh, I always suggest is automation is only as good as a process. So I start looking at uh, issues they may be having with <clears throat> chips or, or any of that nature first, um, but then looking at where are all the red lights. Because quite often we have customers that suggest you know, we need more capacity. We need more capacity um, to get parts out the door, but then you walk in the shop and there's there's quite a few red lights. You know, we suggest why don't you automate some of the existing equipment to become more competitive and utilize the equipment. Okay. You brought up something that uh, kind of triggered my mind. You talked about chips. Chips um, being able to control variables, right? So when I'm looking at a, at a manufacturing process, if we're talking automation, a key focus of mine is can we control all the different variables that's going to uh, in, that we're going to encounter? If we can't control the variables, we really can't automate. Um, what are things like that that you look for? What are what are some of the variables that a customer needs to get his arms around to make sure before you try to integrate robotics or some kind of automation? Here are some common variables that we need to be cognizant of. Sure, tool life being a, a key to that is. Uh important um it's not automation is not going to be effective if you're always in the um in the cell changing uh inserts so we'll we'll often talk about redundant tooling uh what type of inspection do we need to be doing uh that way we can you know control the process 
because within automation, if you don't have any type of quality, um, quite often you're going to make a lot of good parts or bad parts, one of the two. So we're, we're utilizing... Uh, <laughs> I like that. You can make a lot of parts. It's up to you whether it's good parts or whether it's bad parts. <laughs> that's right? right. That's right. So quite often we're using some type of gauging with uh, feedback to the machines to comp the tool wear offsets. That way uh, we can maintain a, a process and continue in an automatic mode. Okay. Do you get involved much with doing inspection outside of the machine tool? So when you're unloading a part, sending it off to some type of measuring device, and then, but it's still within that automated cell? Uh, quite often. Uh, I mean, we can do simple uh, audit where we can, at some given interval, we can drop a part and, and provide that to a, an operator to do some manual inspection, or we'll do automatic post-process gauging, whether it's a dedicated gauge, uh, CMM, um, even like a, an equator or, or something of that nature, then using uh, some products by Karen Engineering to uh, analyze the data from the inspection and then comp the machine. All right, so tell me more on that. Let's, let's take a, a part example. If I'm doing a shaft, for example, we're automating that, that process. You would take that shaft off. So there's a couple of different uh, scenarios. You could do inspection inside the machine uh, using auto gauging, uh, part probing, or you could take that part off and you're saying you would flag a, uh, a command basically in your program for the robot to drop it off into an to a, uh, outbound station. That would then go to like a, a shop floor CMM, Renishaw equator, uh, or some kind of a shop floor device that's inspecting it. Then based on that measurement, Karen Engineering would send that to the control? Actually, what uh, the gauge sends a, uh, uh, a file to the control where Karen Engineering is, is looking at the file location. Then it analyzes the measurements that it's received. And then if uh, required, it, it's the brains to offset the, the tool wear. Okay. Is there a way that we look at if things are trending too far out, we stop and flag an operator to say, you know, wait a minute, something's not quite right. The, the normal tool wear comp's getting, getting too large or, or the offset's too big. Something's not right, an uh, insert's broke or something. Is there something that allows, uh, you know, that you would do to flag it so it could stop the operation and then flag the operator to come take a look at it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, within the gauge, if we get a bad part, we can stop immediately um, and then call an operator to come over and evaluate the situation. Sometimes we'll have uh, customers that request if they see two bad parts in a row, just in case if there was a chip on the part, uh, on the first part, they can continue to run an automatic mode, or we can set a, a, an alarm that would stop the machine from cutting additional parts. Okay. All right. Very good. Many years ago, I used to program uh, robots, FANUC robots and um, Motoman robots primarily were the ones I went to a, a school for. Um, back then, we would wire them up with discrete IOs and spend a week or two teaching points to the robot. How much has that changed over the years? The interfacing, obviously, with Akuma, we believe is the uh, most seamless because of the nature of the machine, Akuma making the entire you know machine controls and motors. The interface to that is is any bus Ethernet, so we're we're wiring a, an Ethernet cable, mapping the I/O, and and away we go. So it's it's very seamless on that side, and then touching up the points for the pick, the load, the unload, uh, and then the drop positions. Okay. 
a lot of times we're using vision nowadays, which you probably uh, didn't yeah, that, have that technology no, back I, then. I didn't do anything with vision back then. No, this yeah. was my time on uh, on the teach pendants were uh, 93, 94 time okay. frame. So it's okay. I'm I'm pretty dated in this uh, in this environment, Greg. Yeah, vision's a big part of our uh, our life. It really simplifies the methods that you cue parts. Uh, you know, you don't have to have them in some fixtured location anymore. You just use uh, have vision on the robot. It'll go find the parts and pick them up. So you don't you can reduce further direct labor just by using that. And the changeover aspect uh, goes away as well. Okay. So the vision is that something? Can it pick out different geometries? It, within reason, it's a. Um, uh, I'm talking about the Phoenix IR vision itself. Um, it's artifact based, so you program it based on an actual part. Okay. So if you have, uh, say, a conveyor and uh, an mm-hmm. operator throws it another part on it just to check it, it would notice that if it's grossly out. When I say that, if it's an eighth inch or more likely, uh, it's going to kick it out. Okay. So. All right. So if I had five different parts, if I've programmed it and I've got part programs in the control and I've defined what the geometry of these parts look like, if my cell attendant operator is loading a conveyor belt and maybe I've got mixes, I do three of one part, five of another, ten of another, that robot, the vision system could pick out that geometry and then call up that part program for that Correct. That part, so it could go from one part to another without operator intervention? Yeah, so we could use, uh, you know, it would be five vision processes so we could take a photo of one find that part and then through uh, external program select on the akuma we can call up the the cutting program and then load it for the machining okay so the only uh, limitation is a your end of arm tooling has to handle those and your chuck in the machine or fixture would have to handle those parts as well okay so what about misloading when you're doing automation and ex- Especially for an example like that, if I've got a mix of parts getting thrown at the cell, how am I confirming and making sure that that part's getting loaded correctly and, and we don't have a situation where we're misloading parts? That, that's something tied through the work holding? Uh, it, it's two things. On the end of arm tooling, generally we're going to have some type of uh, compliant unit to ensure that it's loaded to the uh, hard stop in a chuck. Mm-hmm. But then quite often we're using air seating in the uh, in the chuck to make sure that it's seated, and we get feedback from the machine before the process starts that it is indeed uh, loaded correctly. Okay. Back in my younger days, we used to use torque skip on the Akuma control. So if we put a part in just to make sure that uh, you know we we were loading part A and to make sure we didn't accidentally put part B in, we could drive a blank tool basically in and use torque skip. And if we're expecting the part to be, I'm just going to use round numbers, three inches out away from the chuck, I would start uh, sending this tool in at, at three and a half inches or so at using torque skip. So if all of a sudden the motor realized, wait a minute, I'm sensing torque outside of this band I've programmed, it would flag it. And then we could have an operator come in uh, and, and double check, make sure it's got the right part at the right time. Do you see people still doing scenarios like that in the field? Well, it's funny you uh, you say that. We just uh, had a conversation yesterday about it, <clears throat> and it was a specific part in the way that the measurement uh, uh, had to be on the part from the ID. They were planning on using torque skip just to uh, 
to utilize it on the tailstock side of it. So we do see it from time to time. Okay, that's yeah. good. Because those are standard features in the control that a lot of times, uh, you know, us from, from the Akuma side of things, we're so used to it, we almost forget to talk about it at times. So um, so it's good to see that, that uh, you guys are still utilizing some of that and incorporating that. So um, I guess what are, what are the newest trends? Where do you see automation going? What do you foresee your role at Geisker Automation three, five years down the road? How do you see this growing and expanding? Well, uh, just to give you an idea, <clears throat> what we've done uh, in the last three years, you know, automation, you know, Gosker automation originally was about 20 when I started, <clears throat> excuse me, and now we're at 60. So in a, in a number of, you know, three years, we've, we've tripled the size of the group and we're still growing at this point. Uh, and what, what we're seeing worldwide, the, the shipment of robots uh, is only growing. So I think it was between thir- 2013 and 2018, there was a 200,000 unit growth of robot shipments worldwide, and, and the trend continues in that direction. Okay. I know for Akuma, one of the, the biggest market segments that we play in, um, the 4020 Vertical Machining Center, that's uh, a large volume uh, market space for machine tools in general. The 4020 mill is one of the biggest market segments. Uh, for us, that's kind of a commodity, commodity market. Um, what do you see or, or what are you guys doing to kind of help, say, uh, machine shops that are just getting into automation for the first time or trying to automate a, a small 8-inch lathe or a 40-20 mil? Um, do you guys have products that kind of speaks to that commodity market? Uh, we do. Um, you know, as far as a 40-20 or vertical side, what we've seen over the last two years is is a tremendous growth in automation in that style machine. Uh, customers generally were thinking, you know, either a, a high volume machine or a horizontal manually loaded. However, what we're seeing is let's take the, call, the investment in the horizontal and the fixtures, put it into the automation, automate a vertical machining center. Hmm. So I would say over the last uh, two years, we, we've seen about a 30 to 40% increase in the number of vertical machining centers that were automating. Okay, interesting. So you guys have recently partnered with Automation Within Reach? Correct. Tell me a little bit about that relationship. What What do they do? What's their strong suit? Sure. So Automation Within Reach, uh, the, the whole focus there is uh, commodity standard automation for um, high-flexible uh, systems. So out-of-the-box, the system, uh, their system, uh, handles from a half to five inches in diameter and then from one to seven inches high. So highly flexible, low cost to enter into the market of automation. And we've seen that really take off since we released it uh, or, or showed it at IMTS in uh, 2018. Uh, that unit really uh, designed with the ability to move it from one machine to another uh, as long as you have the options on the machine. Okay. But um, what we're finding is once a customer gets one and they, they see the value in it, they're turning around and buying another one for a different machine. Okay. So. so how long would it take to incorporate that? I just put a lathe on the floor. I got it installed. Now I want to look at automating it. If I bring this unit in, how long does it take me to get it up and running? So I'll give you an example of a system that we did uh, recently on a actually a, a Maltus uh, B250 we shipped it on a Monday morning, uh, Monday 
mid-afternoon it was installed and uh, we loaded parts up on it and it rained for the next 159 hours straight so within six hours of it hitting their floor they automated a machine 159 hours that's awesome that's great I got to play around with the control a little bit. Um, I've had them on our, our tech center floors. We've had them at some of the shows. And uh, the thing that really amazes me about it is the ease of programming. Again, going from the days where I was driving uh, robots with teach pendants and now utilizing a conversational type program, um, that's really simplified the the skill level that's needed to be able to program that robot. Yeah, what, what our goal is, and I believe we've achieved it with that product, is keeping the teach pendant out of the customer's hands. So on the HMI, they're they're answering some very simple uh, que- questions as far as how the part's being gripped on the uh, the load, where is it loading, where is it unloading, where is it uh, um, loading into the drawers. The, the system actually takes care of defining uh, the overall height, so you don't even have to input that side. You don't have to uh, provide any type of depth to load it into the chuck. And we're using standard uh, options on the robot to do that. And then, uh, you know, another thing that's interesting, most customers uh, today think, you know, with automation, you have to have some type of PLC, you know, some highly complex uh, interface to it. But in that system, there's no PLC. So the robot's communicating directly to the, uh, the um, basically industrial PC. So there's, there's really no... Um, requirement to be able to support that side of it all right so i think that's uh, about all the time we've got for today greg i appreciate your time what uh what's the next thing on your plate what's the the next big project you're working on well there's a few but uh we we, the biggest one uh, that i would say is a 1250 kilogram robot that uh that we'll be working on for uh loading two uh vtm 100 so very, very nice. large uh, systems that will be hitting our floor towards the end of the year. 1,200 kilograms. That's, that's about what I curl on, uh, on a good day. So, <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate everybody joining us for today. Um, again, this is Greg Fakes with Gossier Automation. I'm Wade Anderson with Akuma America Corporation. And if you have any questions uh, or any ideas that you want us to discuss on these podcasts, please reach out to us. See you soon. Bye.